Well, as I, uh, as I stated at the very, <clears throat> excuse me, beginning, the beginning of this sermon series, when I was kind of giving a teaser for the different topics that we'd be covering, uh, I said that my plan for today was to preach on politics and then leave the country later this afternoon. Um, Megan and I were supposed to depart today for Israel, but of course, you know, with everything going on in this, uh, during this past month, that, uh, that trip has been postponed. Um, it kind of makes me wonder which I would feel more nervous about, traveling to a tense-filled Middle East or preaching politics on a Sunday morning, you know? And, um, and, and I, I don't... I don't want to make light of what's going on in Israel. I mean, that, the, the conflict, the fighting is real. There, there's, there's many people that are, that are suffering in that part of the world. Um, uh, nor do I want to just assume that a conversation about politics has to be explosive, right? But, but we've all observed the reality of, of political conversations and even just talking about politics in general that, that it can lead to some pretty strong reactions, right? And I thought, you know, I, but it's not something that, that we ought to avoid talking about. That this is something about which we, we need to renew our minds just like we've, we've been doing with these other topics that we've covered. Seek, seek uh, what God has to say to us in his word in this area. So my hope is that for me, as my mind is renewed in this area, that, that I, can, I can both honor God through my political engagement and, and also be loving toward others as I do that. So, so as we engage in this topic today, I, I think we gotta, we gotta first recognize that our context within our American form of government is something quite foreign to the biblical context, right? Uh, you know, four-year terms for the highest executive leader, a, a Supreme Court that rules on the validity of laws, um, equal voting rights for all citizens, that, that would have been quite foreign to the biblical context, okay? Uh, the bulk of the Old Testament is, is set against the backdrop of a theocracy. That'd be a system where God is the ultimate ruler and humans rule in his name. And then you get to the New Testament and the entire New Testament is set against the backdrop of the Roman Empire ruled by Caesar in Rome. So as we look to the Bible for discernment regarding our own governmental context today, I, what I want to do is kind of approach it in, in two ways. The first thing that we're going to do is, is talk about basic biblical principles which are true and ought to be upheld regardless of the type of government that is in existence. So, so these would be things that would be applicable to every person on earth, no matter in what country they live, no matter in what time they live. So we'll look at that first, and then secondly, we'll, we'll look at some particularities for, for our context and, and discern which additional biblical principles should guide us as we engage in American politics today. So, so that's the plan for this morning. Let's dive right in, talk about some of the, the uh, basic biblical principles. 
think we need to start by, by recognizing that the Bible understands all of God's people to be dual citizens, dual inhabitants, if we want to think about it that way. Our primary citizenship, of course, is in heaven, right? It's, it's, it's in the kingdom of God. Paul states in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, right? This means that, that uh, we shouldn't become so preoccupied with our current place of residence on earth that, that we lose, lose sight of where our true citizenship lies, that being heaven. We say that, but the Bible then also leads God's people to seek the welfare of their society, their town, their, their country in which they live. We're not supposed to be people who just say, well, it's all gonna burn anyway, so what does it matter, right? My, my citizenship's in heaven, so, so, so what does it matter? Who really cares? No, no, we are to be people who long to see those around us thrive. We are called to that. One of the examples of that is, is in the Old Testament when, uh, uh, and Pastor Tim was referencing this this morning in Sunday school, when uh, God was disciplining his people, his, the Israelites, by, by sending the Babylonians to defeat them and take them as captives back to Babylon. So, so God's people at that point were literally people of one land exiled to another. And in their exile, the prophet Jeremiah spoke these words to them. So let me just read what he said in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is verse 7. It says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So, so even though the people were taken against their will and resided in a society which was hostile to the worship of God, they were still called to seek the welfare of their society. And that would have involved caring for the people, serving the people there in Babylon. Likewise today, God's people on earth today aren't called to anything different regarding the physical location in, in which we find ourselves. We're called to care for people. We're called to serve people today as well. It's, it's the outflow of what it, what it means to, to love our neighbor as ourself. So no matter the governmental context in which we find ourselves, we must be seeking the welfare of society, the welfare of people in our society. So we see that in Scripture. Another thing we see is that... Uh, no individual nation's success is required for the advancement of God's purposes, God's kingdom. Um, if we think about that setting in Babylon uh, another time, uh, when Daniel interpreted the dream of the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel stated that the God who provided the dream is the God who changes times and seasons. He's the God who removes kings and sets up kings. And we can look back through recorded history and we can see the rise and fall of various kingdoms and empires and nations. And through it all, God's purposes have continued to be carried out. They have continued all along. 
I, I came across a quote by uh, this gentleman's name is Scott Ray. He's the dean of faculty at the Talbot School of Theology. And, and I think it's a quote that's undeniably true. He says, he says, the kingdom of God is not dependent upon the flourishment of any particular nation for its advance to continue going forward. And of course, that would include America as well. He's an American speaking to Americans when he says that. American flourishment isn't a requirement for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Um, God told Peter in Matthew 16, he was the rock on which God's church would be built and, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So not even the work of Satan himself can thwart the kingdom of God that's lived out within the church. Not even Satan himself can thwart that, much less a nation rising or falling. Now, nations matter, governments matter, ours included, but, but at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is not dependent upon those nations. So we have to, again, and this is, we're still in the, the, the section that applies to all people, right? All governments, right? That, that, that's every nation on earth. Now, that being said, God does have a divinely given role for governments in the world. He raises, he brings down nations and rulers for a purpose. And, and this purpose is, uh, is given to us in Romans chapter 13. So I want to read what Paul writes there. And again, he's writing, about a, he's writing in, within the Roman Empire, right? It's a context very different from ours, but, but it still applies. So Romans 13 verse 1, Paul writes and says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So a government that is carrying out its God-given purpose will be doing two things. It will be upholding the good of the people while also working to restrain evil among the people. So any government's primary purpose ought not be to grasp as much power as possible or, or control as much wealth as possible or exert as much control as possible. That's not, that's not what governments are meant to be for. Its primary purpose is to uphold good and restrain evil by the authority given it by God. And that's why Paul can, can uh, say we must be in subjection, we must pay taxes, we must give respect and honor to whom it is due. God has instituted governments for that purpose. Now that being said, the last basic biblical principle I want to highlight this morning is that all governments are run by fallen humans and thusly will not function flawlessly. That goes without saying, right? But I'm saying it anyway. I mean, we know that. We know that. And, and we, can, we can see examples of that back in Scripture as well. Moses, for example, the first leader of God's, of, of Israel's theocracy. 
Moses disobeyed God and he wasn't even allowed to enter into the promised land with his people. You can look at King David. David was arguably the best king that Israel had in the Old Testament. And yet he famously committed adultery and murder by utilizing the power of his position. We can look at King Herod, for example, the the Roman king of the, the territory when Jesus was born. Herod was so concerned about his own personal power that he had all babies in Bethlehem killed because he thought one of them might dethrone him. So we we see examples of it in Scripture. We can look at our own context today and give a hearty amen. Yeah, there's fallen people in government. We can can make a list, right, of of the politicians that we would say embody this principle. But in case we're tempted to think, well, if we could just have Christians indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if if our government would be all those people, then all of those problems would go away. Well, let me at least tell one story. All right, so for example, and and this is back in the Middle Ages. During the Middle Ages, the Pope was was the the most powerful person on earth at that time. Um, he, He combined both religious and political authority into a single role. Um, but, but even that was no guarantee of success. So back in the 1300s, the, the French people rebelled against the Pope, who was Italian, and they replaced him with their own French Pope, and they moved the, the papal residence to France. So you can, you know, you can see there that might have caused some tension between France and Italy, and it kind of, kind of grew to the point that in uh, 1378, both factions elected their own Pope. There were two popes starting in 1738, and, and for the next four decades, that, that's what happened. There were two popes both claiming uh, ultimate authority, both claiming to be the rightful ruler. Well, in 1409, cardinals from both camps got together and agreed to end the conflict. They said, this is kind of ridiculous. We need, to, we need to get away from this, get back to one pope. So these cardinals came together. They deposed the two current popes, and they, they, uh, elected, they, they elected a new pope. They sought to restore unity within the church. What happened? Well, the two popes went easy, Right? No, <laughs> they did not choose to step down. So for, for five years, there were three popes, all claiming authority. And finally then, on, on today's date, November 5th, 1414, there was the Council of Constance that was called that, that convened and, and finally put an end to the madness of all these multiple popes. So, so even the church getting its hands on political leadership of the government was not flawless either. Because fallen humans participate in government, no human government will ever perfectly carry out its God-given responsibilities. And and I'm not trying to make excuses here. I'm not trying to give free passes. I'm not trying to lead us to a place of fatalism where we just kind of give up and completely disengage. I'm not shooting for that. But we do need to recognize the limitations of human governments and, and not view them or the people within them as Messiah-like figures. Because no matter who the person is in whatever position of government, they're fallen. They're a fallen human being just like I am, just like we all are here.
So, so those are biblical principles that apply across the board. It doesn't matter what kind of political context it is. And I went through those a little more quickly because I want to focus more of our time this morning on our specific context. What are the things that we need to keep in mind as, as it pertains to American politics in 2023? That's the million-dollar question, right? Well, the first thing I want to I talk about is, is our direct engagement in American politics. So voting, right? Of course, that's one of them. But, but it, this wouldn't, I'm not referring to just voting. It would also include things like campaigning, lobbying, holding some type of political office. When we think about voting, which is the most common way that the average person is involved, I've heard people make this statement before that that we are commanded biblically to vote in elections. We as Americans are commanded biblically to do that. But again, the democratic voting process is a foreign concept to the world, world of the Bible. The, the Bible does not speak specifically and say, you shall vote in elections. Okay, it's not there. However, if we are going to be people who care about the welfare of the city, then I think it probably ought to be our default response to actively pursue good by voting. We're given that tool as Americans, and we ought to utilize that. Now, I understand there, there are situations where a certain policy or, or two competing candidates present what appears to be a no-win solution, right? We, we've, we've come across those. And in those instances, that we do have to prayerfully consider how, how we respond. But in general, it, it is good and it is right for us as we are able to be engaged in the American political process through voting, and if God further leads to be engaged in, in other ways too, contact, contacting politicians or, or, or holding an office of some kind. But the thing about which we ought to really renew our minds, I think, when we think about engagement is, is the way in which we vote or campaign or lobby or serve. And again, I'll kind of focus on voting because that's, you know, that's the most common way we're involved. This links back to our discussion about rights um, a few weeks ago. If you remember, Paul was willing to, uh, to lay down his rights in order to see other people benefit through the receiving of the gospel message. Jesus laid down his rights as he went to the cross and lived out his purpose not to be served, but to serve. And I... I, I couldn't remember if I've said this in a sermon before or not, but, but one of the more likely circumstances where a person's selfishness will show forth, and, and this is Christians included, is in our voting, if we think about it, right? And I don't just mean voting in and of itself, but, but the motives behind the vote that we cast. When we check whatever box in the voting booth, is it not often from a selfish place? And I, man, I, I know I feel that pressure when I'm in the voting booth. No one's looking over my shoulder, seeing how I vote. Aren't I gonna naturally check the box that I think is best for me? Best for me and my family. I mean, isn't, isn't that the default? And I know I'm not the only one, okay? I, 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 if you go back 100 years, I did a little research. If you go back 100 years, 
Do you know what has happened every single time there's been a presidential election, and importantly, campaign season leading up to that election? You know what has happened every time that has taken place during or immediately following a recession? For the last hundred years, every single time, not only has the incumbent lost if they were running for president, but the, the party that was in office during that time lost, no matter who was running for that party. So you can argue that over the last hundred years, the, the greatest predictor of presidential election results is the pressure that we feel on our personal finances. I, I mean, it's shown itself again and again and again. So if we're going to be serious about following the example of our Savior, serving rather than being served, then that must include our voting as well, right? That's not off limits when it comes to serving. Am I, am I willing to vote in a way that benefits others ahead of myself? Now, I, you know, a vote cast in service of others may benefit ourselves as well. I think, I think perhaps those two things align more than they diverge. But when they diverge, which way do I go? Am I willing to even think about casting a vote that would benefit somebody else ahead of me. Now, you know, to, to my knowledge, there isn't anything for us in Eureka to be voting on this coming Tuesday. Part of the reason I wanted to talk about politics today is because I thought we'd be voting on Tuesday, and lo and behold, I guess there's nothing to vote on this time. But, but the next time that we, are, that we are going into a voting booth, whether it's in the spring or next fall, a good question to ask is, what would it look like for me to serve others through what I'm about to do? What, what, what might that look like? I think that's, that's a way that we are called to think and act as followers of Jesus. Now, another thing to think about as it pertains to American politics, especially in the current context, is, is party affiliation. Right, as, as followers of Jesus, I mean, that's who we are, that's our identity. If I align myself unabashedly with a political party, what message am I sending? Again, another question I've, I've heard asked before, would Jesus be a Republican or a Democrat? I mean, it's an absurd question, really, but because uh, obviously neither the Republican platform nor the Democrat platform were, were created to align with the Bible, right? Neither party sat down and said, Let, let's come up with something that aligns with the truth of God, with the word of God. I mean, that wasn't the intention. And so as a result, there, there are stances within both platforms which ought to draw our approval as followers of Jesus. There are things in both platforms that align with the truth of Scripture, there are stances within both platforms which we ought to oppose as followers of Jesus. But in our current political climate today, it, it is essentially a requirement for a person to pledge allegiance to an entire party platform, the whole thing, right? I mean, I mean we see this all the time. It's why there's very little uh, crossing the aisle, right, going back and forth. And then by extension, if, you're, if you are called to pledge allegiance to the entire platform, the, the, what comes with it is you have to pledge opposition to the entire other party platform, right? Every bit of it. So what happens when we do that as followers of Jesus 
is we, we force the message of Christ to submit itself to the message of the political party rather than the other way around, which is what it should be. And in that case, when we do that, our, our, our primary allegiance is no longer to Jesus, but to a party, to a political party. Uh, think about 2 Corinthians 5, right, that, that we read earlier. Paul reminds the church in Corinth they're ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through them. We are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. The message of the gospel is proclaimed through God's people. So, but the question is, the question that we should ask ourselves is, in my political engagement, whatever that looks like, have I instead become an ambassador for Republicans or an ambassador for Democrats? Because the, the, the problem we run into when we do that is, is we start attaching things to the gospel that aren't supposed to be there. Right? To be a Christian, you, you must be or you must vote Republican. To be a Christian, you must be or you must vote Democrat. Or, or maybe more commonly said, how can you be a Christian and vote Republican? How can you be a Christian and vote Democrat? Paul reminded the church in Ephesus that, that they were saved by grace alone through faith. And that that was it. It had nothing to do with anything else. Nothing else could be attached to the gospel. So, I, I, man, I, it's fine to vote, vote uh, predominantly or consistently for a single party. But, but when that party becomes part of our identity and the message of God gets filtered as it passes through the, the, the megaphone of a political party, then we're not living as ambassadors for Christ alone anymore. The, the, the allegiance has shifted. And man, that's a, you can see why I can say, well, maybe it's better to fly to Israel today than stand up here and say that. But, but, but we have to ask ourselves that question. Is the message of Christ that I'm proclaiming being filtered through a political, political lens of some kind? Because it shouldn't be. It's gotta be the other way around. The political messages that we speak must be filtered through the, the word of God. And then lastly, as we think about, again, American politics specifically, we ought to think about what is, what is God honoring political conversations look like? So we're kind of stepping away from engagement in the political process right now and just talking about, about the conversations, the interactions that we have with one another at the dinner table, at the coffee shop, across the fence in the backyard, on our social media feed. Right? How ought I engage in these conversations? And really, I, I mean, it shouldn't be any different than any, any other conversation on any other topic, right? Uh, so Paul writes to the believers in, in Colossae and in Ephesus, in Rome, and he, he says things to them and to us, right? We ought to, to have our, our, uh, our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. He says that we ought to have conversations that build others up that benefit those who listen to them. You know, we ought to put away malice and slander. We ought to live in harmony with one another, living peaceably with all. That describes political conversations, right? <laughs> I mean, man, so often in our society today, those things can just go out the window when it comes to political discussion. And I, I came across a, a recent Barna poll um, 
this poll asked, it asked pastors who had thought about quitting full-time ministry, which is 42% of pastors, according to this poll, 42% of pastors have thought about quitting full-time ministry, and this poll asked why, why they've had those thoughts. And the top three responses were uh, the stress of the job, loneliness, and current political divisions. I mean, the fact that politics is in the top three for why pastors would want to quit full-time ministry. And and I'm confident it's not just pastors and churches that feel that tension of the political climate. I mean, families can be torn apart, workplaces, neighborhoods. I mean, this is in in lots of settings. And I I was listening to a podcast um, this week, or a couple weeks ago, that... uh, uh, the person, they, they said something that, that just kind of struck me regarding, uh, regarding political disagreements is what, what he was talking about. And, and what he was saying was that, uh, he said, we've just generally, generally not done a very good job of seeing the difference between values and methods. This is kind of what he was highlighting, the difference between values and methods. And he was pointing out that there's, there's plenty of times where our values are very similar but our methods in response to those values are, are what differ. So for example, j- just to kind of uh, uh, give a picture here, for example, both Democrats and Republicans have the same values when it comes to mass shootings. Right? Both want to see those stop, right? Now the methods differ. The methods on, on how that ought to be approached differ, but the value is essentially the same. We want to see those not just be less, but stop altogether. Now, now methods are important, right? I'm not saying that all methods are equal, because they're not. But if we can discern those times where our values are, are pretty closely aligned with someone whose methods differ from us, then when we have those conversations, I think they'll be so much, they'll, they'll be different. They just will. We'll stop seeing, we'll stop treating one another as enemies just because our methods are a little bit different. And you hear that language all the time, don't we? Right? This enemy language, the other side is the enemy that needs to be defeated. Uh, man, we, as Christians, we can't forget Paul's words that remind us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. Satan, sin, death, those are our enemies. And so... It, as things ramp up politically over the next year especially, because <laughs> they're going to ramp up over the next year, we have such a great opportunity to, to show a better way to be involved in the political process, and especially in the conversations that we have. Churches have such great opportunities to, to shine a light by being gatherings of people from, from different political backgrounds who submit those political preferences to our calling to love God and our calling to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, we can, we maybe should have passionate conversations about certain issues. I'm not saying that we avoid conversations, not at all. But we can and we should do so in a way that upholds the dignity of all people and 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 remembers who the true enemy is, that it's not flesh and blood, that it's, it's sin, Satan, death. Now, that's, that's so hard to do if our minds are conformed to this world, 
instead of transformed by the word of God. And, and, I, and so I, I want to give a little, a little bit of uh, pastoral caution as, as we look ahead to Election Day 2024. Um, We've got to be very wise and discerning regarding our intake of political conversation, especially as it pertains to 24-hour news channels and social media. Um, there is an unhealthy number of paid pundits on 24-hour news channels, and there is an unhealthy number of amateur pundits on social media. There just is. And the more we are immersed in those worlds, the more that's more and more and more feeding into our minds, we are going to be conformed to them. It's just what happens. It's who we are as human beings. More is not better when it comes to either one of those two things. I'm not saying we can't ever listen to a cable news network. I'm not saying we don't ever have a, well, I might say don't ever have a political conversation on social media. I might go there. But, but, uh, but we really got to watch. Are, am I being conformed by those things? But instead, man, I need to be transformed by the word of God. For some of us, that might mean severely cutting back. We're just eliminating cable news, social media from our lives. It, it might mean that. It might. Um, if, if, if you're not sure about the impact that those things have had on you, if you say, well, I, I don't feel like those things impact me, but, but I'm not totally sure, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to spend time in prayer about it and also ask someone who knows you well and, will be honest, and who will be honest with you. And, and if, if God and that person are saying the same thing, like, it, it is impacting you a little bit, then, then it's probably time to pull back from those things because they, they do. They, 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 they conform us to, to the ways of the world. So again, there, there, there's not much at stake for us locally this coming Tuesday. Um, but, you know, next spring's gonna come presidential primary in the spring. We'll have election day in November of 2024 coming after that. And, and for however many more election days we are alive for after that, we're going to wake up the following morning and we're going to see that our preferred candidates either won or they lost. Or maybe they won't know quite right away, but eventually they will either have won or they will have lost. Regardless of how the votes fall, my, my prayer is that we can wake up that, that next morning confident that we've loved God and loved our neighbor as we've engaged in the process, in our voting, in our conversations, all of that. So we can passionately engage in American politics. We can do that, but, but let's do it in a way that brings glory to Jesus and it can be done, right? It, it can be done. I, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is possible in God's strength. It is possible to engage in that way. My, my, my prayer is that an evangelical church body like ours would be less known for the candidates that we vote for and, and more known for the way we go about the political process. You know, that we'd be known for having such a strong desire to love God and love our neighbors, that, that it is clearly seen through the way that we engage in this process. When we do that, it's going to be honoring to God, and it's going to be a blessing.
to our community. Because it's not just Christians that are fed up with American politics, it's Americans <laughs> that are fed up with American politics. And we can show a much more God-honoring, much more person-loving way to be engaged in this process. And my hope is that we'll take that opportunity and do it and shine, shine the light of the gospel through it. It's crazy to think that politics can be a vehicle through which the gospel can be proclaimed, but it sure can be. So may God empower us and lead us to do that as a church body and as individuals as well. But as I said, that's a difficult, difficult road to walk. So, so let's stand together and pray to God and ask him that he would equip us for that, that he'd transform our minds, that we might be faithful in that way. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, um, uh, you are the king, you are sovereign, you are all-powerful, and that is true yesterday, it's true today, and it's going to be true forever. And so I, I thank you for that. I pray that we would rest in that. I pray that no matter how crazy the political context that we're in gets, no matter what the world around us, what transpires, God, would you help us to remember that? That your purposes are being accomplished, that they will not be thwarted. God, within that, would you help us as followers of Jesus? To, to engage faithfully in American politics. God, our, our, our society needs it. God, so would you, would you, again, would you provide what's needed? Would you strengthen us for it? Would you, would you transform our minds? Would you renew our hearts so that, we can, so that we can do that? God, I want to be known, I want us to be known as as people who are striving to be faithful, to love you and to love our neighbors. God, and there's going to be disagreements. That's just part of what politics is. We're going to, to have passionate discussions about the right way to accomplish certain things. In that, God, would you guide us, help us to, to, uh, to show love in those conversations. God, I, uh, I pray that, that you would provide what's needed for us. That's, that's probably impossible for us to do on our own strength. God, but in, in you, with your spirit guiding us, God, I believe that that can take place. We want to see the gospel proclaimed. God, so would you help us to do that in this, in this arena of politics? God, we thank you that... that Again, that you are the king. That's why we worship you. That's why we devote our lives to you. And so we praise you for that this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen.